0: Welcome to the Managing Violence Podcast, the internet's leading free resource on violence prevention, threat assessment, personal security, and self-protection, brought to you by R2S Violence Prevention. We are Hashtag For The Protectors. I'm your host, Joe Saunders. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Managing Violence podcast. Episode 99, would you believe, is here already. And uh, we're flipping the script today. We're doing something a little bit different. I'm resharing an episode where I was interviewed by uh, Ben David Myers on the Finding the Truth podcast back in February of 2021, it was a really fun, enjoyable conversation. Ben is an amazing guy; has a lot of knowledge himself, a lot of operational background, uh, and uh, and we just had a great time chatting about my approach to verbal de-escalation and communication training. So, uh, I thought it would be good to share it with all of you that maybe haven't heard it. But I do encourage you to check out the Finding the Truth podcast uh, wherever you get your podcast from. Uh, it is a uh, it's a really good listen with some with some great minds from the martial arts and violence prevention field. Uh, Before we get to that, just a quick plug. Remember, if you're in the UK, check out violencepod.com forward slash UK tour for all my dates coming up in March and April. And if you're interested in anything we do corporately with workplace violence prevention, occupational violence and aggression, check out www.risk2solution.com. All right, here we go. Uh, Me on the other side of the mic. This interview was republished from the Finding the Truth podcast. I uh, had the pleasure of being interviewed by Ben on that podcast, and I highly recommend you check out his work. It's Finding the Truth, available on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fantastic show, fantastic conversation. Had to reshare it
1: with all of you guys. Please enjoy. Joe Saunders, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you for coming out and, uh, and joining me. We have a kind of a history, an interesting history, which I'm sure we'll get into on the show, catching <laughs> alligators and such. um you've been integral in my journey as a podcast creator you've helped me every step of the way so let me just start by thanking you and uh please just introduce yourself for the benefit of the listeners uh so that they can get to know you like i do
0: yeah that's very kind of you and and you're you're most welcome it's it's great to see other people that are doing good work and and talking to the people that need exposure and and providing extra platforms for getting for us to get this message out about mm-hmm. what we're doing and 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 the people that are doing it well uh as opposed to those with the biggest marketing budget <laughs> which is <laughs> it's always nice to sh- shine some light on the area on the corners that uh where the uh, the good people are hiding <laughs> so uh i appreciate that i'm more, more than happy to help any any way i can uh so my name is Joe Saunders. I'm the host of the Managing Violence podcast, uh, which has been running for about two and a half years now. I've uh, been fortunate to interview pretty much a who's who in the, in the self-defense and self-protection community, as well as academic experts and people from other facets of violence as well, from psychology, criminology, sociology. Uh, we've talked about everything from PTSD to gender-based violence to uh, you know, obviously street-based violence. We've had Everyone from Jeff Thompson and Richard Dimitri and Tony Blauer and Lee Morrison and um, Matt Larson and Dave Grossman and pre- pretty much anyone who's written a book on, on self-defense <laughs> has been on the show at some point. And of course, I, can't, I shouldn't, shouldn't neglect to mention my good friend Rory Miller, who's been on three times. So uh, I've been very fortunate to do an apprenticeship as such uh, over the last couple of years with the leading minds in, in violence. Uh, prior to that, uh, I've basically been in this field for more or less 15 years, um, probably touch over 15 years now. Uh, I started off as a martial artist growing up. Uh, I, I moved around a lot as a kid, so I, I did different martial arts every time we moved to a new town, which was very frustrating as a child because I never felt like I made pr- made progress. <laughs> I'd get to like yellow belt or orange belt and then we'd move again and I'd be like, damn it, now I'm going to start at white belt again. Uh But as an adult, I grew to appreciate that because it gave me the foundational skills in a bunch of different uh, styles and and, and different theories. Uh, I I really got stability and and made progress once I started wrestling and then uh, transitioned from wrestling into judo. Found I had a a natural sort of um, ability when it came came to grappling. Uh, I didn't actually realize this whole time that I was a child, I was actually short-sighted. So um, I was very good at getting hit because uh, my perception <laughs> was off <laughs> I thought I just sucked at martial arts turns out uh turns out if I could hold somebody I'm much better than <laughs> without before I create before I had uh, the glasses and contact lenses and stuff so but uh I um started bouncing in nightclubs when I was 18 uh and uh, that was just a way to get paid because I was a big kid who with a martial arts background and I didn't have too many other marketable skills uh and I was studying psychology at the time and uh so the between being uh, in, in the, the lecture theater of psychology during the day and then, and then being in the, the, the ground <laughs> the, I guess the coalface of psychology in the evening, it was a, it was a pretty good learning curve. And uh, figuring out the gaps between the physical martial arts that I'd learned and what reality actually entailed led me to Richard Dimitri. Um, I, I read some articles about Rich in, in Blitz magazine here in Australia. Just so happened he had a seminar tour coming up at the time. It was his first tour of Australia and I was able to go out and uh, meet Rich and and train with him and and break his shoulder, as we have famously discussed. There's a video out there of young, uh, lanky puppy me uh, accidentally breaking Rich's shoulder in the middle of a seminar, uh, I think on day one of a four-day seminar, which made me feel really guilty. But um, yeah, so fun story. We became fast friends. And you know what? I, I felt so bad. I was like 19 years old, right? and uh, I felt so bad that I'd broken this guy that I kind of idolized. Because Rich was still doing the open call out. I mean, I'm already going off on a tangent I'm in the introduction, so good good luck for the rest of the interview. Uh, but uh, Rich was doing the open call out thing. Um, I think this is around the time we stopped doing that. But we we were on like hardwood floors in a town hall, right? There was no, no dojo, no martial, no martial arts mats or nothing and um we did like a grappling hit so i wanted to see how well the shredder would work against a bigger grappler and i was a bigger grappler and uh rich basically said take me down try to submit me uh and i think he was expecting me to shoot um but i i I clinched him and i and i uh hit him with a hip throw and he jammed his shoulder on the wooden floor and to his credit he, he kept fighting and he shredded me and like he he won i guess from, from from that perspective i mean he didn't take my eyes out so i mean he, he probably would have won um but uh but yeah i felt so bad about it that i thought oh, you know what i'm gonna buy him a gift uh so i, I was in sydney like i wasn't not where i live i was in a different city so i went to a market trying to find a, a an australian sort of gift that i could give him and I bought him this uh this decorative boomerang uh to to give and, and it was only like after the seminar that I realized that I just broken the guy's shoulder and then given him something to throw uh as a gift that I kind of felt like I've kind of missed the point there uh but anyway uh meeting rich kind of set me down this journey of r b s d and uh you know the the other aspects of violence management uh which i I won't go into a huge amount of detail on because I know you've had plenty of other guests that have talked about that but um uh, I ended up becoming an instructor under Rich a couple of years later, and uh, that basically just set me off on this journey of, of trying to understand violence as a whole. Uh, I, on, on a professional level, I've been, in, as I said, I was in the security industry with a psychology background, but I, uh, I end up working in violence management roles within healthcare, uh, teaching doctors, nurses, and wards people, and basically everyone else who worked in hospitals how to manage aggressive clients, uh, aggressive visitors, aggressive patients, Uh, and you can't just palm heel strike every patient right uh in in fact quite the opposite so uh there's a lot that had to go into that we had had to understand things like dementia and geriatric health and we had to understand we had to make sure we're across uh drug and alcohol addiction and withdrawals and mental health and acute psychosis and uh acquired brain injuries and and all all these other fringe elements of aggression that um I think, are typically overlooked in the self-defense community because we think everything is a, is a fight in a pub, right? Uh, and that's just not reality, uh, not for everybody, right? And, and if that is your reality and those are the fights you're trying to trying to get out of them, maybe just stop going to the pub because you might have a very punchable face if you keep getting into those sorts of fights. Um, but uh, yeah, so it was, it was a journey, man, and, and I've basically spent the last 10 years or so uh, consulting in one way or another to different organizations about how to manage their risks uh, when it comes to violence, conflict and aggression. So that, that, that's me in a, in a nutshell. Um, I, I know we will go into some other topics, but that's, that's a decent brief, I guess.
1: So, you and I have some, some common threads in the, in the world of violence. Um, uh, kind of this, this, the same threads as, as everybody that seems to get into violence that's male um, you've bounced, I've bounced, you know, we've done these things, you know, rich Dimitri, he's a good friend of mine. He's a good friend of yours. Um, but, but I think, would you say, cause, because you're, you're very kind of, uh, psychology focused now, right? You're, you're getting more into the communication end of things and, and how to deescalate and, and using verbal skills is, is Rich, was he the impetus for that? Is that what started you in that direction?
0: Yeah, I think he was the one that opened my eyes to how unexplored that area is, if that makes sense. Like, I, I kind of knew that that was a skill set. Like, I, I knew that there was, I've done a lot of reading already. Like, I'd read um, Sharpening the Warrior's Edge, Bruce Siddle. I, I'd read um, yeah, Dave Grossman's work. I, I, I knew there was a pre-conflict side, um, but we'd really only given a lip service. Uh, and I, I obviously like I, I would read verbal judo and I'd kind of seen oh, there is an approach to de-escalation. That's a little bit systematized, uh, systemized. Uh, but, um, Rich kind of was the first one who gave me some practical tools and I thought, Hmm, there's something to explore here. And he was also the first guy that I trained with that really did scenarios where the scenario wasn't just about hitting someone, uh, and it wasn't just about using the communication to set up hitting somebody, <laughs> but like, you could actually win the scenario without, co- without contact. And, and that kind of opened my eyes because I was, you know, I was a competitive kid. Uh, I, liked, I liked competing, so I liked winning scenarios. And I was like, well, how do I win without having to hit somebody uh, or without having to shred somebody? Like, can I, can I manufacture situations where this goes away? And, and I took that mentality in uh, still working you know, full time in, in the door, uh, in the door world. Uh, where every time you went hands-on with someone, that meant a lot more paperwork. Uh, and, uh, and I went to court a couple of times, thankfully only as a witness. So I was never never charged with anything, but uh, I, I, I've been eviscerated on the, stand, on the witness stand by, uh, by some defence lawyers over the years uh, who were trying to get their, their client off charges. And it just made me realise how vulnerable a hands-on strategy makes you in the real world. Uh, and, and I think too often... Uh, It's sexy to talk about worst case scenario. It's sexy to talk about war zones and, and, and fighting for your life. And, uh, but the reality is that the most people that I train in first world countries, that their reality is that if they do something wrong, the consequences are going to be far, far more severe on a personal professional and freedom level uh, than they will be on a physical level. So I got very deep into the idea of how do I help regular people avoid senseless violence? How do I give them enough tools that when it visits them and they can't avoid it, they can keep themselves safe? But from my observation over the years, probably 90% of violence people find themselves in, uh, especially young males, um, but yeah, even other populations can be avoided. And there's also, there's also a lot of... Um, there's a lot of violence that doesn't happen that could have happened too. right? There's a lot of people that are only breathing because they happen to piss off a nice person. Right. So there's a lot of things that we get wrong that we go, eh, I can talk to him like that. He won't hit me. Uh, I was like, oh, Just wait till you talk to the wrong person like that. Okay? So there's, there's a lot of those sort of elements for me that, that, that became much more interesting to me than training people how to fight. And, and I think after a certain point with, with physical sets, like, once, you, once you've spent a couple of years training properly in physical skill sets, you are infinitely more physically adept than nearly anybody you've got to get into a fight with. Uh, but how's your mindset and, and how's your communication skills? And the benefit of communication skills, and this is something we'll talk about, I'm sure, the benefit of being able to de-escalate aggression is that you can apply those same principles to build better relationships, win better jobs, um, basically uh, have more fulfilling, a more fulfilling life out, completely separate from aggression. So I think the just just like martial arts, you, know, you spend a lifetime in martial arts, you should hopefully get benefits well outside um, just, <laughs> just being able to fight. Uh, I think the same thing, communication to me is a martial art. You know, communication is something that you can learn and study and become a better human being by studying it.
1: So this is, is this, um, was there a particular philosophy? Like, um, for example, I'll just give you an example from what, what, what I'm working on right now. Um, Pedro Rodriguez and I, uh, number two guy and myself are working on, uh, like a philosophical, like kind of flow coaching, uh, program based on Jeet Kune Do philosophy, right? Was it a philosophical driver that took you there or was it just kind of experience and, and fiddling around with stuff? How did you settle into the communication piece?
0: Yeah. So there's a couple of aspects to that. Uh, one, it was practical experience and realizing that I wanted to try and protect myself legally uh, as much as physically. Um, so, and, and it became a bit of a game for me to see like, this is, I'm talking very early days of this when I was still working on the doors. Um, it became a bit of a game for me to see if I could convince someone that leaving was their idea. Uh, and, and sort of, uh, cause I, you know, I'm sober and I'm bored. So I've got time to play mind games with somebody. Uh, they're, they're drunk. They're, they're just trying to get laid. Uh, and I've got time to, to mess with them a little bit. Right. And, and I'm in control and because I had enough confidence in my physical skills, so that this goes bad, I've got the, uh, you know, I can, I can still resolve this and I'm gonna go home, I'm just trying to, you know, I, I, I'd like to see if I can like use my mind to get them out the door first. And um, so that became a bit of a game in the early days. And it was just sort of a, a bit of a quirk where uh, people were like, how did you get him to leave? You're like, oh, just, just talk to him, it's fine. I said, but he was so angry. So said, like, yeah, like, I understood what he was angry about. And I convinced him that a kebab was more important. Um, so yeah, I started playing with it in, that, in those early days. Uh, but I guess the, the, real shift for me to get serious about it, um, was, you know, I was, I was still, I was saying this was important, but I was still teaching mostly physical stuff, right. Uh, which was a little bit hi- hypocritical, but you know, at the same time, you know, there's <laughs> any, any self-defense instructors out there know that you, you you're far more at risk of, of going broke because you can't, you can't afford to pay the power bill than one of your students gets mugged. Right, so you got to give people what they want to a degree, but uh, in the corporate world, there was a there was a turning point for me where uh, occupational violence and aggression is something I've become sort of a. I, I hate using the word expert, but it's something that I, that I've kind of built my business around dealing with helping helping uh, customer facing organisations manage customer aggression basically, and uh, I don't know what it's like in the US, but but certainly here uh, there is absolutely zero appetite for most large organizations to train their staff in any kind of physical skills. So they want conflict management, they wanna keep their staff safe from aggression, but they don't want them to actually learn any self-defense. And the, the reason for that is um, they're concerned about the liability if someone gets injured in training, they're concerned about the liability if someone, one of their staff members uses a yeah, a Kung Fu move uh, in, uh, I just did uh, uh, air quotes for anyone listening to the audio, um, in inappropriately, um, it just they, all they see is red flags from a liability point of view. So they don't want anyone to touch each other. And this is pre COVID. All right, post COVID, no, <laughs> Post-COVID, no they, they really don't want anyone touching each other. So that was a massive frustration for me because I felt like, especially some of the organisations I was being brought in to teach, that they had real risk. Like they had real assaults, they had real serious violence um, that. I felt they will being negligent, not providing some physical skills. And my initial reaction to that was just to you know, be frustrated and angry and, uh, and say, they don't get it. They got their head in the sand, but that's not a very productive mindset to have. It doesn't help anybody. So I shifted gears and I thought to myself, okay, if these are the parameters that we're working within, well, what their risk appetite actually is. They don't want anyone to touch each other. They kind of want a magic solution to every problem. They want everything to be communication and uh, and you know, touchy feely based. Uh, how do I give them a product that stays within those lines but is not grossly negligent? And and that was basically the the question that led me down this whole path. I, I went back and I reviewed basically every every verbal de escalation book I've got. Uh, I, I I identified what I thought were the benefits of of each program, what the gaps were of each program. Uh, and adapted it, I guess, largely to the Australian market. Uh, so, so verbal judo is a, is a good foundation, but it's, it's very American. Uh, there's there's a lot of cultural norms that are that are used in verbal judo that maybe don't apply in other cultures. Um, and there's a lot that relies upon having a having a position of authority for it to actually work it it's written for cops. Um, so when you when you strip away the person's authority and the ability to arrest someone if they don't comply, then uh, not all of verbal judo works as well. Uh, And certainly when you, when you go into a culture that has a different relationship with authority figures, then that changes things a little bit as well. So I I thought, what would verbal judo in the 21st century look like if we're going to start from scratch? Let's, let's have a look at the research. Let's see what we can find out from a psychological point of view, from a neuroscience point of view, from a a sociology point of view, like what, what do we know works and build a new program? And as I started to unpack this, I got really excited about it because I started thinking, you know what, I can actually give these guys something that I think that I can say is responsible, without having to make them do any physical self-defense. Is it going to fix every problem? No, because not everybody can be de-escalated, but a large, large percentage of people can. Uh, And that's kind of that was the impetus. It was it was more, it it was half a business driver, but it was really just a duty of care thing. Like, okay, uh, I can walk away from these contracts because I think they're negligent. But that doesn't help the people at the other end either. And if if I don't teach them something, someone else is gonna get the contract and someone else is gonna teach them some rubbish and they're gonna think they're safe and they're gonna get hurt. So how do I do a better job? How do I look after these people within the within the restrictions that are placed in front of me? And that, that was really the the what led me to to dig back deeper into the verbal de-escalation side.
1: So and from there, you've kind of codified it, I guess and you've you've put it into a curriculum that you use with people on a on a consistent basis uh what like has it been successful what's the feedback been like on on uh the program
0: yeah i mean it's always in in development uh <laughs> i i i don't think uh, i don't think i can be an instructor under rich and ever say i've codified something because he kind of beat that out of me uh but uh it is it, something that yeah uh, there there's basic principles that are, that i think are more or less universal that, that can apply to, to to people in all different walks of life and all different areas but um i it, it has been turned into a a product of sorts of, of sort that we that we can sell that we can teach but it's always modified based on the client's needs and 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 what their what their role is and what what their legislative frameworks are and all that kind of thing but the the feedback has been fantastic because it's not something that most people have been exposed to previously it's not something that people have been given any sort of depth in before uh i've I've only just started teaching it to martial artists which is interesting because um yeah most martial arts instructors go oh we do verbal de-escalation okay well how do you train it oh we 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 tell our students to talk their way out of situations okay but how do you train it I mean, if I asked you how do you how do you train your uh, footwork, you will give me fifteen drills that you use for footwork. If I ask you how do you train your verbal de-escalation, you get nothing.
1: Right? Yeah, it's a it's huge gap, right? Uh, Rich Rich was the first guy to ever like, hey, this is how we drill de-escalation. This is how we drill, you know, doing this kind of stuff where you're talking an aggressive person down and that that uh, the workshop that he did, the uh, trauma sensitive teaching workshop that he did for the six people up at his house up in up in Canada was, you know, it's it's groundbreaking stuff. Um, my son is a psych major as well. Uh, and, you know, of course, he was raised by me. So we're always talking martial arts and all that kind of stuff. But he went there and he was like, Dad, this guy's amazing. and And so I know I know kind of the direction that you're coming from this because there's a huge gap, right? Like the, the, like you said, people will have a million drills for how to throw a yakazuchi or whatever you call the freaking reverse punch in karate, right? Like a Yamasaki. I don't know. (laughs) Um, But, but they won't they won't have any drilling for de-escalation. They pay some kind of lip service to it. Yeah. De-escalate, make sure you de-escalate first, uh, non, uh, non, non non-confrontal posture. Don't look aggressive. There's phones everywhere, but no one's actually working it. And I'm sure you've heard me talk about this in the past. I I got to be kind of co-teach at one seminar with a friend of mine and when we did it, when we actually drilled it, no one in the class could get it right. There was one guy in there who kind of did a decent job and everybody else just completely crapped the bed. They, uh, 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 you know, they're stumbling over their words and they, 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 or they get aggressive back. And I'm like, no, now you failed, right? Like, look, look what you did. You made the situation worse. So that's, that's, that's really cool that you have taken the time to kind of delineate this out, at least in a rough sketch, and you're having success teaching it. <clears throat> um,
0: there's, there's, there's a few pieces there. I mean, talking is a fine motor skill, right? Uh, and we all know, at least, well, I mean, if you're a combatives instructor and you, you're at least au with at least the, the literature from the 80s, <laughs> like we, we know that under, under stress, fine motor skills deteriorate, um, let alone cognitive processing. So the, there's a whole bunch that needs to go into actually, how do you control your stress first? Because if your heart rate gets too high, then you're going to lose the ability to, to, be, able to be able to think about words anyway. Right? So you either need to train that to a high level, you need to manage your stress or hopefully both. So uh, yeah, you, you cannot rely upon, even if someone can talk well, if they've got the gift of the gab, they're a good personable individual, um, be able to do that in a calm environment when no one's going to hit you, if you get it wrong. Is completely different to be able to do it where you're actually fearful uh, and there's real consequences. And then you end up with people that are otherwise nice people saying stupid stuff that does escalate situations. Cause they just, they, it just comes out of their mouth and you can almost see them reaching for the words to try and get them back in. Right. Because they just know that they just, they, they just screwed up. Uh, you know, that, that happens all the time. It's just because it's not drilled. Uh, and, and you, you need to, you need to drill it like every other martial arts technique and we'll, we'll get into this, but there's, you need to do, you need to to isolate the technique. You need to understand why it works. Okay, then you need to apply it and then you need to drill it. And then you need to drill it under progressively harder and harder resistance. And then you need to integrate it with your other techniques. So you need to integrate that into a physical scenario where you have to now make a decision about whether you keep talking, whether you don't keep talking. Uh, You need to integrate it with, you, you know, walking away, leaving, finding an excuse to leave, all that kind of stuff, right? But unless you have a system for how you're going to integrate these techniques, you end up with lip service. And one thing I try to get across to, to traditional martial arts instructors, especially that maybe have an interest in this and they think it's, it's it's valid, is that this is an entire entirely new discipline, and you don't have to be an expert in everything. Yeah, you know, like it, it, I think every martial arts instructor should be facilitating some knowledge of the law, right? You should you should have some sort of self defense law that's that's specific to your jurisdiction. I don't want a karate instructor reading an article online and then deciding he's going to teach law okay like i, I that, that's not what i want i want you to reach out to an expert who can actually teach that stuff and and in, give your students that knowledge from an expert uh and if you if you don't feel comfortable that you are you have an expert knowledge in verbal de-escalation call someone who, who is right there's there's a growing number of people out there that, that can do it i'm happy to do it online i'm now selling online seminars jump in for an hour and do a, do a class on your zoom class with about verbal de-escalation. Like I'm happy to do that because I'd rather people get good information rather than someone who's, who has good intentions, but maybe doesn't have the experience with it. But um, I think that as I got into this, I started coming up with it. I I started saying this phrase, communication is a martial art. Communication is a martial art. And as I started thinking about it more and more, it was just something I said randomly in, a, in an interview once and uh huh, huh if communication was a martial art, what would it look like? You know, like, and, and literally all the trappings of martial arts, okay, there's so many techniques that we do in, on a physical level. What would be the verbal equivalent of that? Because so we, we talk about, I even went back to the, to the art of war and, and the book of five rings and, I, and this is a, a book I'm working on at the moment is kind of taking down those um, traditional warfare strategies and how do they apply to communication. And we talk about things like flanking, right? So, so rather than having a head on argument, how do we, how do we come from the side? Yeah, how do we come from the side and talk about something just tangentially related that, that changes the dynamic of the conversation? Um, yeah, all warfare is based upon deception, Sun Tzu. Okay, well that's pattern interruptions. Okay, that, that um, yeah, Rich talks about quite a bit, and that's where I got the phrase patent interruption. But how, how do we how do we how do we feign compliance as a way to to deescalate uh, emotion to enable another option? All right. So there's actual strategies. It's not just about talking, and uh, and the other thing that I get from martial artists a lot, and, and I'm like, I, I love the martial arts. I know you love the martial arts. So when I say martial artists, I'm not saying that in a derogatory term. I'm just talking about people that specialise in physical skills. Is that uh, they say, Oh no, we we uh, all our scenarios start verbally. What are you teaching for verbal de-escalation? Stop, get back. Okay, that's that's not verbal de-escalation. Um, that is a strategy for attracting attention. It's a strategy for witness coaching, uh, which you know, is good from a from a self-defense point of view and making sure witnesses around you uh, saw that you weren't the aggressor. That's good. But it's not going to de-escalate anybody. Uh, it's, it's assertive communication that might make you a harder target against a predatory attack,
1: potentially, maybe. But it's certainly not de-escalation. So yeah. one thing yeah. I... Yeah. it could actually escalate the situation, right? Depending uh, on on the, the, who you're dealing with and what where their psychology is at, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, if, if I thought
0: I was having a reasonable conversation with someone and they, they start yelling at me, stop, get back, I would feel a bit insulted. Like, well, what do you think I'm doing? Like, what, why, why are you yelling at me? Um, and it could have been that there was something I was doing in terms of, like, I'm, a, I'm a big guy. If I was standing a bit too close to them, or something, and they felt threatened, and they started yelling, "Stop! Get back at me!" rather than saying, "Hey, hey, sorry, bro, could you mind just standing over there a little bit?" like that would be a completely different scenario, right? So, if if I was already a little bit angry and you started yelling at me, then yeah, maybe I do escalate a little bit. So, um, but I think it, what's very what's very important is that we we understand what we're trying to achieve with our communication. Uh, if if I told you go and restrain this guy. Uh, I, I want you. I want you to. Uh, I want you just to lock this guy up, put him in handcuffs. Your first response isn't going to be, "I'm going to throw a head kick." Okay, hopefully not, because right? you probably won't be carrying handcuffs. For, handcuffs for very long, right? But so, so unless you, you need to know what you're trying to accomplish to determine what technique to use. So I, I roughly broke down communication into three different potential strategies: de-escalation is one, uh, directive is two, and domination is three. And I, and I chose those purely for the alliteration but but de-escalation is probably the highest percentage for most people right to be able to to resolve the conflict because as i said most conflicts can't be resolved most conflicts are to quote rich a good person having a bad day right and and if you understand they have a problem that can be solved then you can de-escalate nearly everybody um if you are in a position where you can give a directive a, a directive being i'm going to tell you what to do so i'm going to give you a command that's a strategy as well, but it only really works if you're in a position of some sort of authority where you can enact a consequence. Because it, once you have given a directive, if they fail to follow that directive, then you need to have a consequence. You need to have an or else. Because if you don't have an or else, then what was the point of the directive? So uh, that, that's something that, that we need to cover off on as well. And then there's the last one, which I think is probably the lowest percentage, but it works for some people, and that's the domination or what we might call woofing. Uh, where you basically control someone with your voice. And that only really works if there's a bit of fear in the other person uh, and if you are very, very good at projecting your voice in a way that, that unsettles people. Uh, and I, I would have personally written that off as a strategy altogether, except that it worked for me a couple of times. And I think it's something, it deserves a little bit of attention uh, just because in worst case scenario, sometimes it works. And that's where the stop, get back sometimes works. Right. Um, if someone thinks you're an you're an easy target and you you blast them with that, they might
1: go, "Whoa, okay, I'm going to pick someone else." Uh, maybe. So so, Rich goes into the 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 first bit, the de-escalation, quite a bit, and Jeff Thompson covers at length the last bit, the wolfing, the the you know drooling and talking to people that aren't there and screaming and yelling and being big and pacing back and forth. It, so, so this middle piece, this the that that's that's something that I haven't heard anybody talk about um, up to this point in my time in this field. You want to excavate that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So, so directives
0: giving you giving a good directive is a is a skill set, right? Because most of the time, people that are in that position uh, that they, they do have other tools. So I'm talking mostly about law enforcement. Uh, people with with immediate authority and the ability to enact an immediate consequence, which which means giving that directive is is useful uh, because you can, you can quite clearly say, "Well, I asked him to do this, he didn't do it, therefore he got sprayed in the face and put in cuffs." Right? I mean, it's 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 a pretty clear progression of force. I gave him an opportunity to comply. You can do the Jeff Thompson thing. Is there anything I can do to change your mind? Okay, you can you can do that, but. It's uh, it's unexplored and it's undeveloped as a skill set. Be able to give a good directive. You you should be trying to convince the person to comply without you having to go to the to the escalation of force. Okay. And this is especially important if you're in a role where your your escalation might be calling somebody else. Okay. So let's say we're, we've got security on a, on a on a premises, and they're going to tell someone they have to leave, or else we're going to call the police. Okay, cool. What are you going to do in between the time that they Fail to comply with that directive and the police arrive because now you've got maybe 10, 15 minutes. We've got a very angry person. You've got nothing left to threaten because the the, the threat is on the way. Okay. So how we control this is important. Uh, And one of the fundamental aspects that I put into both de-escalation and directives is building rapport so that people like you. Okay. People, people can like you and still not want to do what you say but at least if they like you, they're unlikely to harm you while the consequence arrives. So I spend a fair bit of time on, on how, do, how do we build rapport in terms of uh, being, uh, being pleasant, demonstrating empathy, uh, smiling, the way you look, the way you stand, your tone of voice, finding common ground. Uh, and, and even the way we introduce the consequence is important. Uh, if, if I compare me saying, hey, you need to leave or else I'm gonna call the cops versus brother I, i've told you what i can do but if that's not good enough i need you to leave if you don't leave i'm gonna to have to call the police and they're gonna come and they're probably gonna arrest you and you're gonna end up spending some time in a station you're gonna to have to give a statement there's gonna be consequences here for you that i don't want you to have I, I don't i don't want you to have to go to court i don't want you to have to go home and tell your wife or, to, or tell your kids that you yeah, Uh, I've lost my job because I got into an argument with a security guard at the library. (laughs) Like, I don't, I don't want that for you. I'm sure you don't want that for you. So how about we just shake hands, we part ways and you go on with your life and I'll go on with mine. Yeah.
1: This is, this is an interesting piece in the sense that offline you and I talked about how this kind of this communication piece even carries over to relationships right Mm -hmm. um are you married yeah so uh de-escalating your wife questionable (laughs) wolfing 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 at your wife never a good idea (laughs) uh guilty guilty of both failed both times um but this this kind of uh uh I guess kind of quid pro quo communication. This is, this is where I think what you're talking about kind of takes on a completely different flavor than, than anybody else, because this is what you're going to do when you're trying to resolve a conflict with anybody, with a loved one, with a kid, you know, Hey, how can we come to some kind of solution that doesn't cause, you know, six-year-old Timmy to melt down or, your wife's insecurities to ramp up or whatever right am i am i hearing you correctly
0: yeah man and, and, I, and i think the the foundation to all this before we get too far ahead of ourselves is is really empathy uh like you need to have empathy for this other human being uh, and something that i i use regularly to sort of explain empathy to people because it, it's something we're like oh yeah no i get empathy but do you really okay it's it's <laughs> Uh, I'm a bit of a word nerd right I, I, I like knowing I like sort of learning the origins of words and, and the un, unpacking the meanings there um, and, and I look at the word compassion uh, it, it's something that's really interesting to me because the, the word passion right we understand the word passion passion actually means to suffer like the root of passion is suffering so something you're passionate about is something that you will suffer for basically Right. So and if we think about martial arts, most of us we can nod our heads, go, yes, I'm passionate about it. And yes, it's cost me like four joints. Right. So we're, we're, we're happy to su- even, even relationships, we're passionate about someone, we suffer for them. Like it hurts. It hurts to love someone that much because you, you're so vulnerable uh, to, to the whims of their emotions or, or things that can go wrong or whatever. Right. So if the, if, if the root of passion is suffering, compassion is shared suffering. Right? And that's what compassion is, is sharing someone's suffering. And if we apply that to empathy. It's sharing distress right? or sharing, sharing disease. It's sharing affliction. So empathy is putting yourself in the other person's shoes and going, what is hurting you? What is actually the problem here? Not as in what's your problem, but what is it that you are angry about that I can sort of relate to? Okay. So one thing I, I figured out even, even as a young bouncer was that someone who was asked to leave a nightclub and decided that his best course of action was fighting an entire security team was not making a rational choice, okay? Because that wasn't going to result in him. Like, it, it, I actually said, I had this conversation once with a guy. I was like, okay, let's say we fight and you knock me out. Do you think my colleagues are going to say, good punch, you can stay, right? No, they're going to they're gonna come in as well, right? And they go fight everybody. It, let's say that you are at a fantastic, phenomenal, mythical fighter and you knock out the entire security team. Do you think the venue management are going to say, we're going to hire you as a head of security, you can stay? Unlikely. They're going to call the police. Let's say you manage to somehow defeat the police. You know, eventually, we're going to end up with a SWAT team here and you're going to get shot, right? There is no, there's no scenario of you fighting the results in you staying in the nightclub. Okay, so this is not a rational choice. What it is, is an emotional decision based upon feeling like they've got a loss of power, they've been disrespected and they're worried about their social standing with their friends. Okay, so that's, that's really what's motivating the angry response. So how do I mitigate that? How do I understand that pain, that fear of feeling like I've been working on this girl for the last 45 minutes and you're going to kick me out before I even get a phone number, right? How do I get rid of my friends are gonna like my friends want to stay here and I'm gonna be out on my own and I'm gonna be, I'm gonna have to go home on my own and everyone else is gonna have, gonna have fun. Right. That, those are the fears. That's the suffering that I need to connect with because that then gives me strategies to be able to talk them out. Okay? But coming back to what we're talking about with directives, I can, I can connect the dots to those fears to be able to say, Hey man, I need you to go because if you don't, you're going to end up with the police and then you are going to be on your own for the entire night at a police station. Cause I guarantee your friends are hanging around while you make a statement. All right? So it's going to be worse than if you were sitting outside. Okay. So I can, I can connect with those fears, but I've got to have empathy for the person first. I can't just go, oh, he's just a pilled up junkie. He needs to go. Because now I have no empathy. I've, I've othered him. I've made him different to me. And as, as soon as you have no empathy for the person you're talking to, you cannot deescalate them. It's just, it's not going to work
1: interesting so so uh one of one of the degrees that i have is in executive leadership coaching Mm -hmm. and we use this thing called powerful questioning right and it's it's kind of um getting the person to lead themselves to the solution right which it sounds like that's what you're doing right um that's that's really interesting and that and that did when I remember to do it right when I don't go lizard brain or whatever which I have a tendency to do because I'm kind of a gorilla but but when I remember to do it that that did transform my all of my relationships all of my conflict interactions right because I, you don't really do that much work it's not me solving the problem it's me leading you to solve your own problem is that what you're talking about is that kind of what you're doing
0: 100%. 100% because I want willful compliance right that, that's what I want I don't want someone who's, who's complying because they're scared I want someone who's complying because they feel like this is a good decision right they've got what they needed or they they feel like I'm on their side trying to guide them to a solution that's a better option than the one they're thinking about making uh, or vice versa I just want them to not even think, think that I had any control over whatsoever and this was entirely their decision right so uh bring this out out of the nightclubs out of the yeah, the the typical self defense scenario. I use this with my kids all the time. I've, I've got I've got four kids under eight. If I'm trying to get them to go to bed, turn the iPad off, whatever. I can I can woof at them and being a parent, right? I can just go. I can yell. I can take the iPads. I can ground them. I can do all that stuff, right? Because you've got unlimited power, more or less, as a parent to be able to do to be able to enact consequences. But what that does is it breeds resentment, and it leads to having an argument every night. About the iPads every night, about bedtime every night, about whatever. If I can if I can show them why this is a good idea for them, then I can actually get somewhere. And okay, now, now I say, Hey guys, if if I need you to turn the iPad off because the more you're on that screen, the more your brain's going to wake up, it means the harder it's going to be to get to sleep, it means the later you're going to sleep in, the less playtime you're going to have with your friends tomorrow. Uh, so how about we turn the iPad off and you you can watch it again in the morning when it's time again. Yeah, but if you, turn, if you don't turn it off now, I'm going to have to take it away. And if I have to take it away, you know, you're going to get grounded. I don't want to ground you. I don't want you inside the house with me all day tomorrow. I want you out playing with your friends. Don't you want to play with your friends? And now they're actually making a decision for themselves. And, and, and nine times out of 10, they'll, will, they'll willingly hand over the iPad or go to bed or whatever it is I'm trying to get them to do. Because I've painted a picture of what's to gain for them, not just about what they're going to lose. And and that's that's really important.
1: Interesting. I'm doing something similar with my teen, my daughter. Right. I I say okay. Yeah, Ke- so, Kev, I haven't
0: raised I haven't raised teenagers, so if I'm wrong about that, I haven't got there yet.
1: <laughs> no, no. I it's it. I'm a we're this. So this is there's a there's a little tweak, right? Because the 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 mentality is a little bit higher functioning, but. The, the the deal is in the house, if you meet these four areas, you, you do your chores, you get your grades where they're supposed to be. And you, you help out when I ask without an attitude. That's uh, three things. There's a fourth thing that I can't remember right now. It doesn't matter. Uh, But if you check those boxes, right, you have basically unlimited freedom, right, because you're showing me you're responsible, and then I can trust you to go do whatever it is you want to go do. I don't need to go, oh my gosh, are you going to go do something stupid, because you know how to conduct yourself like a responsible human being, right, this is my, my checks and balances. And it's taken a while. I mean, it's taken several times of me having to like walk down that path. Okay, let's look at this. And there's been some periods where it's like, okay, you're grounded. Sorry, <laughs> I tried. I tried to reason with you and it didn't work. So you're grounded. But but my daughter is getting it. This past weekend, we had a big, a big bump. And I was like, look, am I ever not on your side? No. So why are you acting like I'm the bad guy, right? Like, you know, I'm in this to try to give you what you want. So can you please give me what I want? And then you can have what you want, right? It's a win-win for everybody. We don't have to be like this. And, and, and you can see her like the little wheels start turning and smoke starts coming out of her ears. And she's like, okay, dad. Okay. That sounds good. But, but I think this is this is so key. What you're talking about is so key because it's so broadly applicable, right? It doesn't matter if you're 500 pounds or if you're five pounds. You can use this. It doesn't matter if you're five years old or 55 years old. You can use this. You can you can use this on the on the playground to get the toy you want in the sandbox, mm-hmm. or you can use this in the business deal to negotiate. The, the, the item that you need from your client to get done what you need to get done for your business, right? This is something that has massively broad application. And if you play your cards right, um, you, you, you come out a win all the time. I was just having a, a conversation with, with Pedro about like, I've stopped believing in losses. There's a win in there somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. I'm gonna find it. And it may, and I may have to compromise some, but I will. I I hate losing. Oh my god, I hate losing. I will find a win in there. I will find a way to 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 get things to where they line up to where I I it's. It, there's a scene in a movie where it, they 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 say, "Uh, it should go like this. Uh, a, a, a negotiation should go like this." Joe, are you happy? No. Ben, are you happy? No. Okay, good. Let's keep going. Right, like. <laughs> you don't have to be happy with it. You just have to yep. get to the goal, right? So there's always a win in there. It, it sounds like a real like win-win type philosophy. And I love that. I think that's awesome. Is it, do you think, to bring it back to the martial arts, right? Do you oh. think that that judo and the philosophy, again, of judo kind of influenced your thought process on this? Or is it, because I know you're a judo guy, right? Yeah. Um, is it, is is that kind of what maybe like on a deeper level was, was motivating you, uh, psychologically to get to where you got to?
0: I think some of the principles of judo and and jujitsu for that matter, um, at least Brazilian jujitsu, uh, they're, they're, they're very applicable, right? About the, the use of leverage, the, the, uh, not, not opposing force with force, which is what usually happens in an argument. We end up with two people wolfing at each other until one person either backs down or someone gets hit um that 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 would be like a, a kyokushin karate fight okay two guys standing right next to each other punching each other until someone gets sick of being punched right that, that's that's the verbal equivalent um and and look at the, the reality of judo is that it doesn't always work the way that it's supposed to work philosophically um sometimes the bigger stronger person does win um especially when skill sets are equal uh that's why i always encourage people to be bigger and stronger. But um, the uh (laughs) the the principles certainly do apply uh there's there's a great book uh by robert cialdini called influence uh it's it's a classic book uh it's it's a fantastic uh exploration of how to influence other human beings to behave a certain way and it's mostly written from a sales point of view but Influencing human behavior is influencing human behavior. And he actually references jujitsu quite a bit in that book. So it's, it was interesting to listen to. I listened to it from a business point of view, and I kept hearing these martial arts references, which just made me want to keep listening. Um, so for anyone out there who, who likes their their business infused with martial arts, and uh, you'll enjoy that book. But um uh yeah absolutely the, the principles do apply uh in ter- in terms of being off center don't be in the power box right don't don't be where the argument's taking place approach it from a different angle don't don't match power with power so if they're getting angry you stay calm right? that's uh, use the leverage dip under for that tomahawky right <laughs> whatever it is that, that you need to do to be able to be able to take control of that situation let's approach it from a different angle uh, sometimes, sometimes good communication is tagging out and going, you know what, this person just doesn't like me and I'm not going to be the one that gets a resolution. Right. And, and sometimes that's difficult, uh, with our egos, uh, something I, I struggled with initially was I'm like, but I'm a nice person. People like me. Why don't you like me? And it was like, it, it was like a, a, an ego battle that damn it, I'm going to make you like me. Uh. And that's that's a really bad idea because once someone has decided that you're the problem it's very it's very unlikely that you're going to switch them around in the next yeah five minutes okay if you have time to build a long relationship with someone yeah maybe they'll come around but it's unlikely to happen right away just because you're smiling nicely right they're probably going to see that smile as smugness and they're going to try they'd be more likely to punch you so sometimes you have to just tag out and let someone else take the lead but uh yeah absolutely the the, the principles do apply um Probably the other thing that, that's really important to understand and it, and it does tie into that, that idea of um, yeah, not, not being where the argument is or not, not being in that that anger zone is understanding that arguments are, are very seldom rational. They're nearly always emotional. And, and human beings are not rational creatures. Robert, Robert Heinlein said, uh, man is not a rational animal, he's a rationalizing animal. And what that means is that we don't make logical decisions nearly ever we make emotional decisions or instinctive decisions, and then we rationalize them afterwards so that we feel like we made a rational decision. So you, you'll do what you always do, and then you'll come up with a story as to why you did it. Okay? And that way you feel like you're in control, but really you're still operating off a gut feeling, or off an instinct or off an emotion. So when we, we're having conflict, uh, it's, it's important for us to deal with the emotion first, not the rational problem. Okay? So how, how do I present a solution to you whether I'm trying to de-escalate or whether I'm trying to give you a directive, how do I present a solution to you that, that quells your emotional fears? Not necessarily the rational problem, okay? And, that, and, and there's a, because too, too often, like the, one thing is, is, is great for us as the, as the person trying to de-escalate to not be emotionally involved. Like you should never be emotionally involved. I've never ever seen an angry person calm down another angry person. It's never happened. So you can't be emotional. You can't go lizard brain, as you said before, because otherwise you will not de-escalate anything. If you, if you go lizard brain and you get angry and the other person de-escalates, it's because they were a nice person and they didn't want to punch you, okay? And, and I think that's where a lot of people get get um, sort of skewed data on their ability to de-escalate. Most of the time they're dealing with nice people that don't want to go to jail. So they control their own emotions, you go, wow, I de-escalated that. No, you got lucky. Okay? There's, there's there's a significant difference. You can you can get this stuff wrong a lot without consequence because most of humanity doesn't really want to go to jail. so. Um, coming back to, to the emotion side of things, if I keep my emotion out of it, that's good, but I can't allow myself to get too analytical and just start trying to throw a rational problem solving at someone who is emotional. Okay. Because that sometimes doesn't work either. Uh, it, it, it I, I think i I'm, I might be getting ahead in terms of the segue, but I, I just feel like it fits here. Uh, one thing about, about de-escalation too, is solving a problem is great, it's, it's, it's one of the, the solutions. Like if you can solve their problem or we'll get them closer to a solution than what they were before, and I'll expand upon that. But sometimes people don't want their problem solved. Sometimes people just want to be heard, right? They, they know that you can't change the situation or they know what they have to do about the situation, but they're just venting about it. And all they want, especially from a customer service point of view is for you to say, yeah, that sucks. Okay? Like, it, it took me five years of marriage to figure out that my wife just wanted me to say, yeah, that sucks. Uh, and and I, I'd been trying to solve problems that whole time. And I was like, oh, you're having problems with your coworker. Have you tried this? And have you tried that? And have you tried talking to this person? What have you tried this, doing this? And what have you. And, and you know what that actually does? It tells the person, you're an idiot. You, you're missing this obvious solution. Um, yeah, uh, I know better than you. Please go do this. Uh, and, and that can actually escalate the problem. Sometimes trying to solve an obvious problem actually escalates things. It's like, it's like when you when you say, "Ah, damn it, my computer keeps crashing." Have you tried turning it off and turning it back on again? Yes, of course, I've tried that. What do you think? I like, am an idiot. Uh, whereas sometimes you just want to hear, "Ah, oh, yeah, man, Mac suck," and I'm on a Mac, so yeah, it's just before I get any Apple rage. But um, sometimes you don't understand. Do people actually want their problem solved? They just want to be heard. It's it's a different thing. And and, and you know, what? you can you can make a lot of friends just by empathizing with the things they're
1: complaining about. That, that comes back to the compassion piece. You're sharing yeah. in their suffering and not judging it. You're just kind of sharing the, the suffering from a non-judgmental place. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So
0: I think, yeah, that absolutely ties in with the, the principles behind behind martial arts. And, and I've always been drawn to, to circular arts as opposed to linear arts. And I think that's, that probably influenced my thinking a lot as well. Um, a lot of the Chinese arts and Okinawan arts are more circular than linear. And, and, and I like that idea of being off-center coming from a different angle attacking weaker points The same thing applies in 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 communication as well
1: nice that's really cool man um so if you were to kind of if to, to sum this up if you wanted to because we've covered a lot of information but if you wanted to kind of give a a 15 minute how to for people that are listening that like oh i like this information but i have no idea how to apply it um can can you can you kind of like sum up so that people get an idea of how to take what we're talking about and and actually put it into functional practice? What does that look like?
0: Yeah, cool. So so the foundation th- foundation steps are figuring out yourself and figuring out the other person. So figuring out yourself is all about how do I make myself more likable and how do I understand my own triggers. Okay, so that those are those are two fundamental steps. Being likable is easy. It's a skill set. You, you can say, I'm not a people person and people don't like me. Cool, but you can learn to be a people person. You can learn to be likable. Con men do it all the time, right? Con men are inherently likable, but they're terrible human beings. So you can learn it just like you can learn any other skill set. You can play a part, smile, good posture, be confident without being cocky. Listen to people, pay attention to what they're saying. Um, something I call perceptive listening, which I think is better than active listening. Active listening is a cliche now, but perceptive listening is listening to someone and really drilling down on the meaning of what they're saying or what they're actually communicating, not just with their words, but what what they're not saying and how their posture changes and how their facial expression changes as they're talking. All of that is data. That that is perceptive listening. Um, But if people feel like they're actually being listened to, they tend to like you more and they'll talk to you more and they'll share more. Um, your tone of voice, uh, ha- what your what your attitude is like under stress. Okay, anyone can be friendly when things are going well, but when someone says you're in a restaurant and someone says this steak this steak is like rubber, and you get angry about it, you're not very likable. Okay, how do you take how do you take a complaint gracefully? How do you take a challenge? Uh, like someone someone challenges you to do something, and you're like uh, interesting, as opposed to well, screw you, man. Like. That there's there's a difference in how we how we act under stress and that makes you more likable or less likable depending on how you how you manage it. Uh, if you think about the people that you really enjoy being around, seldom do you see them flustered right you, you tend to sit like I, I get hit with something that I have no idea how to deal with and if I can control my emotion and go interesting, that's an opportunity for growth like there's something I can figure out here who can I call that can help me with this? I, I know I'm in more control of the scenario than if I just get flustered that I don't know what I'm doing uh, and, and finding common ground with people. So finding common ground with, with someone, uh, you know, who, who's the best at finding common ground street sellers. Uh, if you've ever been, especially if you've been to Southeast Asia, right. And I've got, I've got visible tattoos and uh, I, every Indonesian guy with a tattoo has so, at some point talked to me about my tattoos. Right. so hey 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 nice tattoo bro nice tattoo where you get tattoo where you tattoo hey you want dvd movie you want dvd movie you want suit you want suit i can get you a suit right it's like but i mean they're not quite they're not quite giving you time to settle but they're finding that common ground immediately uh but but look if you can find something about the person that you can connect with that, that actually draws a human connection it makes you more likable so you know they've got a girlfriend you know they've got a wife you know they've got kids you know they've got um yeah a career a life they're carrying something that you can like, Oh, that's a nice briefcase, man. Or, uh, Oh, you, are you a watch guy? I'm I'm really into watches, whatever it is. I don't manufacture something, make it something you can actually relate to that you can see a connection between you and them. People inherently like people that are similar to them because everyone thinks they're a nice person. Right. So they think you'll like them. And they'll they'll tend to like you. Uh, So there's, there's some foundational things about being likable. The next side is,
1: sorry. Yep. So, Yeah, just because I'm not a likable person Uh, I have one of those faces that people love to hate or love to punch or whatever my wife laughs about this all the time because it it happens to me constantly we'll be at church and somebody will be like you know what the first time I saw the first time I saw you bro I just didn't like you I just didn't like your face (laughs) you know I get it I constantly get it right and, and just, I'm going to throw this in there for those people that may or may not be like me. I got a pair of blue light glasses just for being on the computer all, all the time. And I just started wearing them everywhere because they're on my face all the time. And I'm doing podcasts and editing all this stuff. Wearing those glasses has changed my life. I kid you not just that, that little costume change. And now people are like, Hey, how's it going? Oh, uh, so, I, you know, I don't know what it is about. I, I look less threatening. I mean, who knows?
0: hundred percent. That's a massive thing. Um, if you, if you have a harsh exterior, you can soften it. Uh, I was just saying that I never used to wear glasses. I always, I always wear contact lenses. I usually had a shaved head uh, and uh, may or may not have had a beard, uh, visible tattoos, big dude. Um, and, and because I, I think I had this hangover from my time working in security and protection roles where being scary was actually a positive thing. Uh, and then when you go into the real world and you have to build relationships, being scary, isn't great. Um, so now like most of my time, I'm dealing with people that are not confrontationally minded, uh, or I'm trying to, I'm trying to sell business. Like I'm trying, I'm trying to try to do business with people I'm trying to win contracts and, and you want people to like you. Uh, so now look, I wear glasses. I tend to grow my hair out a little bit, even though it's probably, probably not long for this world. Eventually I'm going to have to shave it again because I just, I can't deal with the, the balding. Uh, but, um, yeah, the way you dress, the way you present yourself, does change people's perception. And before anyone gets on the high horse and go, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be judged by the way I look, I guarantee you judge other people by the way they look. Okay. Whatever standard you apply, you judge people. Uh and we all do it. It's a it's a natural instinct. Uh all our ancestors judge things by their appearance because it's a pretty good way to not get eaten. Uh so the same, same thing applies here, right? I know if I go out on a on a weekend and I'm wearing a yeah, a sleeveless shirt, tank top, and I'm wearing a, and I've, and I've got my contact lenses in instead of my glasses, and I've got tattoos on display. I'm going to get a different level of service than if it's during the day and I'm wearing a suit and tie and I'm, I'm looking corporate, right? I know the interaction I have at the coffee shop, at the juice bar, wherever it's going to be different. Uh, and, and that's something that I control and I own. None of us were born with tattoos. You make that decision to, to, to look more threatening. You deal with the consequences, right? That's that's society. (laughs) This is something you get to control. Uh, If you if you're regretting that decision, well, too bad. Mitigate it the best you can. But um, absolutely, you can you can change your appearance. And uh, another book I highly recommend for anyone who's who's thinking about this, um, uh, the Ultra Ego Effect by Todd Herman. I think the author's name is. Uh, He talks a a lot about costume as prop and the ability to to change your personality or the way you think with something you wear. So it's almost almost like a talisman sort of mentality. I put my glasses on. I'm now a personable, um, yeah, emotionally sensitive person, for example. Right? And, and there's a lot of coaching that goes on behind. It's not just about the glasses, but you can use that as a cue to tell your brain that I'm now something else or I'm doing something else or I'm focusing on something else right now. So yeah, absolutely. That's a, it's a good tool for people that may have punchable faces.
1: All right. So... So now we've, we've covered uh, being likable, what's next?
0: So the next thing is just resetting your opinion on other people. Uh, so if you, have a, if you come in with a grudge or you come in with a perception, a negative perception about other people, and this is especially hard for people that have been in law enforcement for a long time, or they may have been in uh, emergency departments for a long time or, or any sort of area, any sort of job where you see the worst in humanity on a regular basis, it can become very, very easy to just assume that everybody's like that because those are the people you're dealing with, and uh, and it's a challenge, man. Like I, I got the light version because I was just in clubs, uh, and then I was in hospitals after that, and I, but I can't imagine what it'd be like to for, to spend 20 years just seeing the worst in humanity. Right? I don't know what impact that would have on my psyche, but the uh, the thing I, I come back to is is understanding that. Everybody is the hero of their own story. Nobody thinks they're a bad guy. Everybody thinks that what they're doing is correct or at least justified. And when we think about it that way, uh, an analogy I like to use that sort of makes sense to people, is if you think about your own life as a movie, like we are the centerpiece of that movie. We're the main character. We've got all the character development. They've shown all the scenes of our childhood and our school years and the, the triumphs and the tragedies and everything that's gone into shaping us. So we know everything about this central character, right? And that's how you view your own life. Like you're the central character. You know, everything that's gone into why you think the way you do and and what experiences you've had. And then you've got people that you know in your life, like your family members, your close friends. They're kind of like the supporting actors that have had some character development, but they're still a little bit two-dimensional. Kind okay, like maybe they're, maybe they're slightly three dimensional. You, maybe you've got a spin off series, and you've got a, a cinematic universe where each character gets a little bit more development, and those those characters you know a bit more about, but you still don't know them as well as you know yourself. That's cool. But then you have all these other people that you bump into throughout your life It'd be customers, clients, yeah, random people. They're extras, some of which get speaking roles, and some of which don't. You know nothing about them, right? they're, they're just there. To facilitate a part in your story but for that extra they have their whole spin-off cinematic universe of their own they are the hero of their story they have all the character development you are the extra so you think about that like how little we actually know about each other it's phenomenally amazing that we haven't completely destroyed ourselves okay that that we're so self-centered we know so little about each other and we and we we think our our needs are so much more important than anybody else's um, and, and that's what leads to conflict, right? Because I'm talking to someone without having any idea what he's going through, any idea what 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 place in his life he's at. You know, this guy who's who's um, uh, giving me crap in a car park. It's 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 not like he was born angry necessarily. Okay, I've never I've never seen someone hold up a newborn baby and gone, "This will be a shit human being," right? Like, let's. I hope I hope that's never happened. Um, <laughs> present company excluded uh, but uh it's something that's happened in the meantime, right? maybe this guy's given me this grief because his wife has has got stage four breast cancer and he's just got back from the oncologist and it's not good news, and he's like they're, they're, all their savings have been uh, have been depleted, and now he's facing the idea of raising his kids on his own, and like how much longer have I got left? What do I do? do I quit work to spend the time with her do i do I keep working to try and make uh, try and try and keep funding this treatment? what am I going to do? And now he bumps into some random dude in a car park and they have a conflict.
1: Right. So when you're That's- coaching, when you're coaching people to do this, yeah. you're sitting down with a room full of people that you're coaching. Do you, do you tell them, okay, so you're, you, you're just had this difficult interaction with somebody. What you should do is imagine a, some kind of hard luck backstory and, and just, come at them from that perspective come at them as if they're they're, they just walked in on their girlfriend cheating on them or something like that and 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 you know drop your guard a little bit engage them from there
0: absolutely um basically what i say to people is give them the benefit of the doubt that there's an entirely plausible reason they're doing what they're doing and that that you don't have to know the story right you're probably not going to get to know this person well enough to know what the story is and it's probably not going to de-escalate things to ask hey man are you okay I mean, some people, some people might be able to pull that off. Other people, not so much. But at least if you can put yourself in the mindset that this isn't a bad guy, this is someone under a particular set of circumstances that's acting in a certain way. And we're all capable of doing it. We're all capable of being an asshole. Um, some people, it's a little bit more natural than others. But all are, under stress, we can all make bad decisions. We can all interact poorly. We can all be the not quite best version of ourselves. So cut the other person some slack put your ego in check and go, what would I have to have gone through for me to be acting this way? And that establishes that common ground that we talked about before. It allows us to have some empathy for, man, this guy must be under a lot of stress right now. Okay? And and maybe that stress is 10 years of stress. Maybe he's been in and out of rehab and he's been in and out of jail. And like, he didn't choose that life. Okay? No, no one goes, man, I can't wait to be an addict. Okay, like that maybe he made choices that led him down this path, but he didn't choose that life. Okay, There's a a difference. So empathy and and understanding the other person really begins with just giving them the benefit of the doubt that they are a good person acting in a way that may be justified to them and working from there to reverse engineer a solution. And that's, that's the foundation of everything before we deescalate, before we give any directives, domination is a bit of a different thing. It's a a different, it's a different strategy altogether. The wolfing is a different strategy, but, um, but certainly with, with uh, de-escalation and directives, uh, that's the foundation to everything. Um, We, there's a, there's a whole methodology behind de-escalation that we haven't touched upon, but it's probably another show, but, (laughs) but uh, that's the foundation.
1: So, so you've, you, you come to this empathetic place and you're now interacting with this person from this space of, okay you're having a bad day, whatever, whatever. How, how do you walk somebody through uh, closing the deal for lack of a better way of putting it? Right. Like how, how do you go from empathy to, okay, let's, let's, let's resolve this situation. And is it, is it, I'm I'm pretty sure I know where you're going to go with it, but is it you leading them in a way that they think they solved it or are you solving it like or or both
0: yeah i i love that you use closing the deal because uh, there's a sales analogy that i I like to use here you can't close a deal unless you know what deal you're happy to settle for okay so if you just go in going i'm just gonna i'm just gonna get what i want cool what do you want okay and 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 if, if you want everything while giving nothing uh you better be a damn good negotiator Okay, or you better have a product they can't get somewhere else. Okay, so that's um, uh, understanding what you're willing to sacrifice. What, what's, what's your go-home moment? Okay, at, at what point am I happy to, to part ways and go, all right, I'm good. I'm, uh, that, that was a good resolution for me. So in this conflict, what is it I'm trying to achieve? And too often we get fixated on, I want the other guy to apologize. Or I want the other guy to admit he's an asshole. Or I want, uh, I want him to back down. Is that really what you want? Because that sounds to me an awful lot like you went looking for a fight and you went looking to dominate somebody else. And that's not de-escalation at this point. That's you being an asshole, trying to dominate somebody else. So if we're honest with ourselves, hopefully, most of the time, the answer is I just want to go about my day. I want to get back to what I was doing previously. So how do I best achieve that? And that's the deal we're trying to strike. So once we have, an, we have a bit of empathy for the person, uh, we've done our best to be likable, so, which will hopefully calm them a little bit. Always look for the opportunity to walk away. How do, how do I get back to what I was doing? Right. What does this guy want? He probably doesn't want to be stuck in a fight in a car park either. Okay. He wants to get on with his day. Maybe the simplest solution is, sorry, bro, looks like we've had, a, we've had a bit of a misunderstanding. I apologize for any role I've had in that. Um, are, are we good? Okay. Maybe I need to give him the cut. What? Okay. It depends if it's very situation depending on what the solution may be. But always say fix that on what am I trying to achieve and what's the most direct ap- approach to get there? Okay. Uh, if this is a higher end, I mean, we're not talking anything to a predators here or, or predatory violence or something where, where someone has committed to a course of action. That's a different strategy altogether. There's, there's no de-escalation there. If you're dealing with predators, the only real the only real verbal strategy is to make yourself a harder target as opposed to um, yeah, trying to de-escalate them. But um for, for most social conflict, it's usually a fairly easy answer. Uh, so yeah, there's there's some wrinkles in there, but, but but what I would coach people to say is always look for how do you get to your desired outcome and be and know what you're prepared to sacrifice to do it. Okay. I, I'm happy to sacrifice a little bit of inconvenience. I'm happy to sacrifice whatever pride I may have in apologizing for something I didn't think was my fault if it's gonna get me to the resolution that I was looking for.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I'm trying to kind of, I really believe the gold in what you're saying. And so this may be my own selfish motives, but the gold in what you're saying is how broadly applicable it is, right? The de-escalation piece, I mean, because you and I have talked to Rich so much, that's been done to death in many of our other podcasts, my podcast, your podcast, uh, uh, Randy King's podcast. Rich has talked about de-escalation and how to drill it and all that kind of stuff. And, and woofing again, that's a whole nother strategy and it has its place for sure. Uh, uh, there are times I have woofed myself out of conflict or into conflict, depending on the situation. But it's this I, it's-
0: I, I, I once restrained a guy with my voice. It, was, oh, uh, yeah. it, it surprised even me. I was, I was pinning down his mate and he came over to like he was considering hitting me and I said, Get on the ground. And and he just laid down. I was like, Wow, that worked. Cool. Right? Yeah. So, sometimes it works.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, but this piece, this kind of like finding finding solutions. I mean, like this is this is where the real gold is. I mean, because this is every day, every interaction. Uh, the the bad fast food employee, the, 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 the person that you don't like at the airport checkout counter that's being douchey that day or whatever, right? Like this, this is one of those things where, you know, I, it, I, the art that I think of when I hear you speaking is Aikido, right? Like where you can kind of Aiki your way through the situation and, and the conflict just kind of spins off you in another direction and you deflect it or do whatever, And, Mm. and, and you, you go about your day without constantly being in that kyokushin linear, you know, bash into everybody type paradigm, right? Like it's just a, a different paradigm philosophically, relationally, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Mm. Um, so I'm kind of trying to keep it broad stroke. I'm taking notes too, while you talk, um, but I, I I really like this and, 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 and I would, I really want you like plug your stuff, right? Like let's, (laughs) let's, let's kind of leave it broad if you're okay with that. And then if people want to get more specific, how can they reach out to you so that they can get coaching or do a zoom or, or whatever and get kind of granular with it?
0: Absolutely. So, so the, the broad applications, as we, as we've talked about, I mean, uh, when, I, when I'm doing uh, conflict management training for an organization, for example, uh, I will usually be training a mix of people that have a lot of front, face-to-face contact with, a, with a, um, customers, clients, members of the public, whatever, depending on the organization. Uh, there'll usually be those people that go, oh yeah, no, I have conflict all the time. And there'll usually be those people that are like, no, I don't really have any customer facing interaction. I don't have a lot of conflict. Cool. The course is for both of you because I guarantee you have interactions with other human beings. And whether you know it or not, you have micro conflicts every single day. They may not manifest in a way you notice them because you're surrounded by nice people that like you. But if you can eliminate those micro conflicts, it's amazing how much faster your relationships progress. And if you've been in business any time at all, you know that business is relationships. People that like you do you favors. They sign deals. They promote you uh and if you can communicate better you can articulate what you're saying better you can understand what someone else needs better again that perceptive listening is key because not sometimes what they're actually saying is not what they mean what they mean is underlying that communication so if you can pick up on those threads it's amazing how much more efficient you can be in in every area of your life that involves other people uh and for most of us even in covid uh like we, we still rely on other people. We need, we have interactions with other people. So all of this, yes, it was, it was built around violence, but the application can be, can be immense uh, in, in anywhere that we, we deal with other people. So uh, I would encourage anyone who sees value in that um, for, please feel free to reach out to me. Uh, if you from a firstly for martial artists, the, the place to go is my website, violencepod.com, uh, which is the managing violence podcast website there's a link in the menu bar to seminars. I can uh, come and do, a, come and do a, a private class for you. I can do a, I can do a seminar. I can do whatever. Um, in, in the current era, we're doing them virtually or face-to-face if, if it's an area I can travel to. <laughs> but um, more, more than happy to do, to do Zoom or whatever. So uh, that's, that's for the martial artists. For corporate bookings or any organizations out there, uh, go to uh, risk2solution.com. number two solution.com. So risk, the number two solution.com. Uh, that's, that's my company. That's, that's where we, we handle all the corporate and, and larger bookings as well. Uh, so we can explore all that. If you just want to pick my brain about it, um, you can hit me up at joe at joesaunders.com.au.
1: And, and so the, for those of you, we we, uh, I kind of briefly talked about catching alligators. Um, Joe, <laughs> just so you have a background on this guy, amazing guy. So Rich Dimitri says, oh, you're thinking about doing a podcast, Ben. You should reach out to Joe Saunders. I was working as a bodyguard at the time, and I reached out to Joe. I think I reached out to you through Facebook because of yeah, your podcast, yeah. just through Messenger or something, right? And... And I'm on shift and I get a, a phone call from Australia through messenger from Joe Saunders, who's read my message and just immediately calls me out of the, out of the blue. So, the guys, your customer service is amazing. I happen to be on this ultra rich guy's property where I was doing a protection detail at the time and I had caught or was in the process of catching a baby gator at that moment and um, But I I tell this story for a little comic relief, but also because to to illustrate the fact that Joe Saunders customer service is some of the best I've ever seen. And he will get back to you. And uh, he's a freaking outstanding guy. He's advised me on microphones and software and everything else. So thank you, Joe, for uh, coming out onto the show. I really appreciate you uh, giving of your day and your time and just sharing all this knowledge with us. Uh, thank you, thank you. Uh,
0: my, my pleasure, my friend. And look, if anyone out there can take what they've, they've learned in this podcast or anything else I've done, and it helps them avoid a conflict. Thank you once again to Benjamin David Myers from the Finding the Truth podcast for permission and resharing the interview he did with me. It was a lot of fun. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, We are going to be taking a short break over Christmas and we'll be back with the big one. Episode 100. Episode 100 coming up on the 24th of January. That's right. The 24th of January. We'll be back. Episode 100. I wish you all a very merry and safe Christmas and holiday period. And I look forward to seeing you back. January 24th, episode 100. Talk to you next time.